Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. I'm Joe Anderson. Joe. Yeah. Our guest today, like we're getting really high up in a very well-run and reputable organization. Um, we have none other than uh, Roy Huff, who happens to be a vice president at the Snell Group. Roy, welcome. Thank you. I, uh, I'm, I'm in awe of that presentation. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we're done here. Thanks. Yeah, for we're good. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so, Roy oversees the, the content for condition-based maintenance, condition-based monitoring, non-destructive testing, all associated with infrared applications. He's an electrical engineer. He's been certified thermography level three since like 1996. This guy's got 35 years experience as an engineer. That's more years than I have tying my own shoes, and I'm 49 years old. So, Roy, <laughs> you are going to be a wealth of knowledge. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I look forward to it. Thank you. Awesome. So this is Joe and I's first podcast associated with infrared thermography. Give me the low down dirty basics. If I don't know anything about infrared thermography, what, what do I need to know? Well, there's a there's certainly a, a wide, wide opportunity of different applications. That's probably one of the most uh, interesting aspects of thermography. We can hit uh, things from all different perspectives, but it really boils down to the utilization of an infrared camera, which uh, senses in a different wavelength than our eyes and allows us to see heat emitted from a surface. And with that, we can turn around and... Um, either monitor the condition of a component or asset or identify anomalies in the field that uh, are potentially an impending outage uh, waiting to happen. Um, we need access to the equipment. It's fairly fast. Um, anymore, the, uh, the cost to entry is, is much lower than it's ever been before. Uh, so the cost of the cameras has come down. And it's giving uh, an opportunity out there for a lot more people to put their hands on the technology. It, Kind of interestingly enough, one of the things I do is as much as I love to promote this technology because it's one of our core services and, and uh, training offerings is the fact that I always like to make sure that people, if uh, if they're new to the technology, is they understand some of the limitations. I don't think we're going to go into that today, but uh, it is important to do your due diligence and understand as much of the good things it can do out there is to know that there are some limitations as to uh, some of the data you might collect. Yeah, with no doubt. And I think that's, it really is an important topic in addition to, it's kind of an art form, right? Making sure you have the right angle, you know, you're not getting reflection, you're blocking out sources of significant heat from the picture. There's lots of small technical pieces that help you um, be a better thermographer and get down to what's truly happening and what you see, right? It is. It is absolutely uh, a peer of mine, a very good friend of mine uh, who recently passed away, Greg McIntosh. He and I used to describe this technology as uh, an imaging science. Um, it's capable of, with practice and, and good education and good training, to become a measurement science, but it really is an imaging science. So as you described it, um, that's exactly what it is. It's a matter of the, the right position, uh, the right perspective, uh, making sure the image is comprised of the right uh, uh, components or, or assets, and uh, and working from that aspect of it. How do you how do you coach people 
because realistically I can make any image look like there's a problem and I can make any image look like there's not really a problem, right? It's much like statistics. So how do you coach people to, you know, it's one thing to go through level one thermography and learn about the technology and how it works and, and all the functions of the camera, but then you got, you got to coach people to actually ascertain what's happening, right? What's the difference between a loose connection and the internals of the breaker going bad? And how can you determine that through visual representation? How, how do you coach people or, or is there more training they need? Yeah, that uh, that's a great question, and um, I can I can come from it from all different directions. It is a matter of of gaining significant experience in the field. Um, during our courses, we obviously share many many sample images and discuss how we might step away and analyze these. For years and years, I think this technology has been presented as a situation where we could identify two types of failure modes: either a, a, a high resistance connection or an imbalance in the load. Uh, but we've added to that, uh, certainly breaking it out because there are just so many occurrences, looking at insulation breakdown and also looking at inductive heating. I've recently done a lot of presentations also utilizing ultrasound and saying between these two technologies, the capability of identifying seven different failure modes within uh, electrical equipment, for example. Um, we love to get in there and, and uh, dig in and, and try to analyze in some cases, our recommendation is simply, especially to a level one, is, is that their jobs to, uh, to identify um, and sometimes to oversimplify it, the, the Sesame Street situation, which one doesn't look like the others, and to try to work from that aspect of it. Um, they should have support staff, either a level two on staff or some others that they can uh, do. And a lot of times we support some of the level ones. They may share an image with us and say, have you seen this before? Could you give us some uh, some direction as to the uh, as to the possible uh, root cause of this uh, issue on this component? Uh, worth mentioning, and I, I get a little windy here, so sorry, guys. But worth mentioning here as is this is kind of another topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, there are so much in so many situations where facilities, companies, and even organizations such as NIDA and NFPA 70B that document um, have temperature-based prioritization. And uh, we really strongly encourage that this is the wrong approach. Temperature is just one aspect of the severity of, a, of an anomaly that we find in the field. We need to consider the accuracy of the measurement, um, the criticality of the asset, operational conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So we really push toward a, a suggest uh, an idea is a risk assessment table, such as the likelihood of failure versus the consequence of failure. Uh, to help better um, at least establish a prioritization of the, uh, the of the level of the fault. So there's a lot of different situations. We also do mentoring, which uh, can do that, or review reports for, for individuals to help them identify it. And we even do it internally as well with our service group. Um, while one of our and all of our service guys are great, um, and with years and years of experience, one of the things we often do is review internally um, and we find that uh, someone else has probably seen this before and maybe delved into the root cause, uh, giving us an opportunity to, uh, to make a better recommendation. I, I, Roy, I, I think you touched on something in three different ways um, that I kind of want to talk about. One is the limitations of IR. Um, 
and then spun a different way. You talked about the complementary aspects of ultrasound and IR. And, and then again, you know, talking when you talk about failure modes, temperature being one of those failure modes. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, people that don't understand PDM technologies, they kind of pit one against the other. Uh, where you have IR versus ultrasound versus vibration, where really to understand PDM, they're all complementary to each other. Each of them have limitations and each of them have strengths. And the utilization of, of all those technologies um, lend to the fact that you can trust and verify if a failure mode is occurring because of their complementary nature. Uh, do you, do you see that to be the case or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I, I try to emphasize heavily in, in our training curriculums, such as we've pushed heavily into mechanical applications and rotating equipment, et cetera. One of the things that's very interesting, and this is just as an example, is that I can very quickly identify all kinds of issues mechanically, but I really truly can't analyze it. And I can't say that you know, I, have a, I have a bearing that's operating at a higher temperature. I can't for sure say it's out of alignment or it's a lubrication issue or it's a bearing a breakdown or failure mode. Um, instead, all I can do is, is come back and say, I found a hot bearing. Uh, we need to bring in, in ultrasound or bring in uh, uh, vibration to, to verify a root cause here so that we can address it accordingly. So, I, I totally am in behind a, a complementary or correlation of technologies to support a finding from as many different directions as we can, because that's going to help, you know, planning and scheduling to establish a prioritization and getting that repaired. We know mechanically, for example, if we're seeing a thermal pattern, it's fairly long or late in the failure mode uh, based on a PF curve, PDF curve. So, uh, we know we're we're toward the end of that. We better better react or respond quickly. The other aspect of that is uh, electrically um, in looking at this, I really feel, especially in high voltage um, above, above a thousand or above 2000, depending on your preference, but higher voltage, if you're not using both ultrasound and infrared uh, at some level, you're really doing a disservice. Um, the opportunity for access, if you're there anyway, you know, if you can apply both technologies, I have hundreds of examples literally of uh, situations where i see something thermally um, don't pick it up with ultrasound and vice versa and then i have all those also situations where i really shouldn't be picking it up thermally i should only be hearing it with ultrasound but i do find a thermal pattern to uh, uh to reinforce what i'm hearing um uh, or seeing thermally and, and hearing uh, audibly so um, correlation of technologies is huge um in addition to motor testing, as I just had a course uh, earlier this week, and we had a whole discussion, um, one of my clients or one of the attendees was opening motor junction boxes and doing inspections of the uh, connections at the motor junction box. And while an incredibly valuable inspection, um, it's also potentially a fairly dangerous inspection, not one we would ever uh, recommend or support. That's where we come back in with, uh, with electric motor testing and looking for a resistive imbalance and, and handling it from that perspective in a much safer mode and actually potentially more accurate mode. So I can't, uh, I really like your comment. I, I think this, uh, this correlation of technologies is tremendous opportunity. 
And those types of things bring up lots of systemic issues inside an organization. I mean, I can tell you a story of we, we had a, a motor connection, an old one was ceramic plate. Somebody had tightened down too much and cracked, right? Because the yes. same thing, they have this PM that just says, go tighten all the connections. And a, and a plant manager at the time who didn't want to train his people in torque specifications, didn't want to use things like predictive maintenance technologies. We don't need any of that stuff. We just need to run the equipment, you know. And I used to put valve components on his desk. And one, one of the valve components <laughs> I put on his desk was this electrical with this porcelain um, electrical connection from, from inside the motor. I put it right on his desk. I mean, it was on, it, all the insulation was burned off, Roy. It was gone, right? Like this right. thing's a fire waiting to happen. And you don't believe your, your team needs uh, additional training, right? So. Right. Totally understand. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So how in, in, in today's climate right now, how have things changed in your industry in terms of how you're delivering both services and training? Yeah, great question. Uh, obviously, interesting times that we are working through. And uh, for us as a company, um, if we go back just a little over a year ago or a year and a quarter or so ago, um, everything was as normal. We we're offering uh, in-person courses, either at a at a someone's site or an open course where people come to us and uh, and attend, um, and very little online offering, as we've always felt very strongly that in-person is the way to deliver this uh, technology. But as a result of these uh, situations, uh, we made some adjustments pretty quickly. We had actually been doing recordings um, starting almost a year over a year ago, and. Uh, so we are now two years ago. So we were in a fairly good position to bring some things online or as we call them on demand. Um, we now have, uh, I think it's 13 and I think 14 and 15 are about to go up different curriculums or courses, both in infrared and electric motor testing, uh, where a student can attend online or, or on demand, as we call them again, um, and do the training at their own pace. Uh, we make ourselves available by email for questions. We can't certainly be live with everyone as they're going through it, but uh, we have found a, a tremendous uh, increase or uh, or you know good results as a result you know as a result of putting these uh, out there and making them available. We're getting a lot of attendance, and people are very happy. Is that they as a company may not be allowed to train. Uh, they may not be able to allow us to come into their facility. So they're very limited, but the needs still exist uh, for good training and uh, to get them up to speed. Um, some interesting other things that kind of rolled out of that as well is we've done quite a few virtual classes um, where we're uh, live online doing courses. Um, we shorten the days a little bit. Uh, the, our days in a training class normally are, are around eight hours with a lot of hands-on. Uh, so we shorten our days of presentation, but we do live virtual classes uh, fairly routinely. We have significantly reduced our in-person open courses uh, where we might host it at a hotel or a training center or training venue. So with doing that, uh, we think we've uh, continued to support that. One of the interesting aspects as well is, and I was really pleased to see this, um, from a couple of different directions, but the services aspect of this um, even though even though many other things came to a grinding halt, many facilities and many companies continued to do their inspections and their uh, or have us come in and do their inspections. So um, that was a good piece of that in that, uh, you know, 
just because uh, we're in a situation as we are with COVID that uh, we didn't turn around and, and stop doing inspections. So we didn't come back to, you know, a year or a year plus of having not done any inspections. And of course, the result would be we would inundate maintenance with, uh, with work orders. So uh, they did stay up. Most facilities, many corporations did stay up with their, uh, with their service aspect of things. Yeah, that's really good. I'm sure those insurance companies were happy too, right? <laughs> so exactly. And, and I mean, you're mitigating risk. I mean, it's significant. So, um, I you know I remember. Well, I'm going to be dating myself a little bit here, but I think the first camera I had was an old Agima system. What was they? The Thermo something with like a like a 470. It was like a either a 470 or an 870. I forget what it was. It oh, was there like, was an 800 series. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was a big. It was like a 60 or 80 thousand dollar infrared camera, you know, back then. Yeah, right. <laughs> way way back when. Um, and now, I mean, you know, for for three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks, you've got one that connects to your phone, and you can give it to every technician and instantly stop the crazy practice of just Titan connections, right? Absolutely. I, you know, even little simple things like I, I know you do this every day, so you probably see and hear stories like this all the time, but our listeners might not. We had an issue at a previous company that filled iv bags and they were stretching bags and i pulled the infrared camera out and found that the solution temperature was too hot and so because the bag was just made the solution temperature was too hot they were stretching the bag and creating headspace because it wasn't cooling off fast enough right like you don't realize how much you can actually use this technology for i have used it for underground water leaks I used it. I used it quite frankly. There was a salesman at my house trying to sell me windows with my wife, you know, and he pulls out the heat lamp and throws the glass in front of him. And he goes, check this glass out compared to this glass, compared to this glass. And I went, hang on a second. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm seeing whether or not you're full of crap or not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because he's the same, put your hand near the glass, you know, you don't feel any heat coming off. Okay. Well, I want to see, let's, let's prove that out. So, I mean, even just really basic stuff like that. What were some of the, the more interesting use cases that you've had? You know, it, it is, uh, you know, we do get caught up in the, the looking at simple things of uh, everyday electrical mechanical. But uh, when we start venturing into uh, production and process and some of the other uh, opportunities out there, which can be huge. Um, and as another good friend of mine, as we he infer or he suggests that I wander around aimlessly saving companies millions of dollars, you know, so the, uh, the aspect of that is, is, is great. There's been some funny ones. Uh, one would be, um, uh, many years ago, um, an issue with the, uh, with the stitching breaking in a seat, a fairly high end automotive seat. And the stitching was, uh, was breaking on a, on a radius, and they uh, they took the time to uh, to image this. Of course, it took special optics and, and special uh, higher higher frequency camera or higher frame rate camera to to slow down the stitching process, so to speak. But as they would turn the radius, it was heating up the needle enough that it was compromising the nylon thread. So as this process went through, and uh, this became a weak spot, it was similar to you suggesting of, of filling a bag. We were heating it up. Um, and somewhat compromising, and it became a weak spot so that in a year <clears throat> or two, 
we would see a failure in that uh, in that radius. So there's interesting and, and very odd things that we do all the time. I've been w- recently working in the glass industry extensively in an attempt to uh, to look at refractory. And uh, as a result, uh, there's nothing new to try to measure the thickness of refractory, especially in kilns and and furnaces and boilers. But in the glass industry, there's a bunch of additional challenges because you have a moving uh, and changing uh, inside temperature and some other things that have come out of that. What I've learned from this is, is that it really does come down to the, the basics of heat transfer. Uh, but some of the other things that came into play were the fact that I was working in such a high temperature environment is that I was changing the transmission of the lens. Um, I was putting the cameras, the infrared cameras, in working conditions that actually exceeded their uh, their suggested maximum temperatures, and yet they still performed. So there's been a lot of uh, very unique opportunities of, uh, of seeing how things are made or finding different applications in, in all different industries. When you push out of the electrical mechanical and, and you look around and you find things, uh, moisture in a wall in a plant that the FDA is monitoring, um, and of course moisture in a wall suggests the potential for the growth of mold, um, that becomes a very interesting aspect of potentially, uh, again, minimizing an outage and allowing a company to uh, to respond and make re- appropriate repairs. So there's uh, there's been uh, any number of situations that I've gone back in just to give an idea of, uh, of the potential losses in some situations. I audited a program once. I wasn't sure if I was who I was representing, which it was usually best that way. And, and in this case, there was an insurance company in in play, and then also a uh, and also the user, so to speak. But I audited their infrared program based on a, a an over two hundred and fifty million dollar claim. So you know you can look at the losses of some of these, and if it comes back to we could have eliminated that or at least reduced the uh, the collateral damages, um, then all of a sudden this technology becomes, you know, as amazing as it is in some cases. You know, and, and sometimes it's not even the, the eminent failure. In some cases, there's already a failure, but you, the, the, the value of the camera still saves money. And, and I, I remember an underground water leak at a previous company, and this is a 400-acre campus with 30 buildings fed by a central utility plant. And their condensate return numbers were terrible and their boiler makeup water was going up and up and up and up. And so we got out on the rooftops and started tracing the, the distribution lines from above using an infrared camera. And it was 40 degrees outside and <laughs> we found a sidewalk that was 85 yep. <laughs> and said, dig here. And you're talking about just, you know probably a mile worth of underground piping between all the buildings and we dug one hole that the value of that versus trying to find this thing is just outrageous it is it is i had a facility with a with a leak uh basically so uh process water out to a cooling pond process water back to the uh, plant and the uh in that situation there was actually a a leak or I'm just going to say a backfeed of this uh, flow. So they really weren't cooling their water very efficiently. And for that particular facility, they estimated it a little over $12,000 a day in lost efficiencies based on 
they were returning hot water back into their plant and and not really optimizing the uh, the cooling opportunities of the cooling pond. The plant had been open for 20 years and it was a 24/7 operation. So I was thinking of the savings based on a you know a, a little situation of just a little leak in the dike, so to speak. And uh, it's examples just like you said. How many holes would they have, would they have dug to find that leak and uh, to identify that? They may never have found it. So that's great, great use. I could probably go on for like hours telling crazy stories. I, I like folks that work in the custodial areas, they like to put a single valve on the exit of a faucet and then just open up both the hot and cold side. So they just got to turn off one thing to fill up a bucket, right? Yep. And then eventually that leads to hot water in the urinals. <laughs> <laughs> I used an infrared camera to find to find where that problem was and realized that it was just, you know, at the diverter, they're putting a, at the faucet, they're putting a, a, a valve in and just opening up the hot and cold. And the, the hot obviously starts to, you know, it's it's got more pressure, it's transferring over and eventually you end up hot in your sinks and urinals and, and right. toilets and everything else. Yeah. We we have some images of that actually in some of our training curriculum, so <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think another one that was kind of interesting is uh, um, I do a lot of non-destructive testing, so it doesn't really apply here in some ways, but in other ways it does. But there are any number of situations where um, you can you can cross over, so to speak, and, and look at things from this. We're seeing a lot more composite materials, a lot more of these types of materials move into industrial applications, where in the past it's only been an aerospace component. So we are seeing some some new opportunities in looking at composites for delaminations or water ingress or disbonds, uh, those kind of things. And uh, so we can even hedge over and start to, to do a little crossover in, in some of these uh, technologies with regards to NDT and, and condition monitoring. That's awesome. So for you and the Snell Group, um, what's your plans for this, I guess, uh, any events coming up or training courses you'd like to plug? Oh, we always do. Please, uh, t- please take a look at uh, the snellgroup.com. We, uh, we typically have a list of our upcoming courses and curriculums. Um, we do offer a lot of uh, webinars in addition to our online training courses. Uh, certainly would welcome anyone to uh, to take a look at those. Um, with regards to, to conferences, we have uh, a couple coming up, SMRPO, obviously, and, and some others that we would uh, typically, we do typically participate in and do some presentations in. Um, I have to admit, I'm uh, not quite up on that. I believe we have one presentation at, uh, at SMRP, and normally we have two or three, but I think we have one this year. Um, so we're seeing uh, that uh, I do some work as well with uh, ASNT, and, and they have their fall conference coming up as well. So um, some stuff coming up, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, as we're getting a little bit back to normal, uh, we can get some good attendance and and uh, get that good vibe going that we uh, that we've had within uh, the industry of these different uh, conferences. So, but yeah, a lot of a lot of good training courses coming up through the fall, and um, both uh, virtual courses monthly, uh, usually at least one virtual course. Um, we are doing some stuff in some other languages as well, and uh, and so we're trying to uh, to trying to support and uh, again minimize uh, travel for for. Uh, individuals and, and handling those types of situations. So as, uh, as it is business as usual, out there doing training, out there doing some service and some program development. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Roy. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. 
and you know, I hope that uh, we can we can do this again in the future and get a little bit more technical and start talking about some more specifics. But um, I, you know, hopefully this wet the palate and appetite of folks that may be on the fence about infrared because it's got an awful lot of value. So once again, Roy, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. For Joe Anderson, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today.